excited to be back to be able to give this message series, Holy Marriage. But before I do, I want to say thank you to the, the group that came to the last couple of weeks who maybe challenged our thoughts on creation and why Genesis matters. You know, there's so many different topics and so many different conversations and even many different um, points of view and how to arrive and to look at Genesis. And hopefully what it did last, the last two weeks is this, more than anything else, hopefully it challenged us to go to our Bibles and to begin understanding how God's word actually is truthful and how that we can work through it. And I hope it challenged us. Um, in the future, we'll be having even more seminars from different groups trying to help us walk through topics that are extremely hard But more than anything, it should challenge us to get into God's word so that our faith grows. Because by the word of God, the hearing of the word of God, our faith actually is challenged and it can grow. And so that's hopefully what happened over the last few weeks. This next week, we have exciting things happening here at the Oaks. On Wednesday night, we're going to be having um, Logan Doak, who's been working with us in the, as far as our music and our second service. He is going to be presented to the the teens and the teen parents. He's going to be interacting with them as far as the candidate for our student pastor. And we're really excited about this. Our students are excited. And that'll be on Wednesday night. And then next Sunday, as a church, we're going to have the opportunity to be able to vote him in as our uh, student pastor. And I think this will be a fantastic move for us to be able to, to, to have a student pastor in place as we get into the camp season, the summer season, vacation Bible school, and so many different things going on. And so we're excited about uh, the church and where we're going and what's happening here. Today, as we get started, if you have your bulletins, you can open that up. There's going to be an insert in there, and they'll have notes for you. And then that way, it also has your devotions for the week, gives you small group Bible resources, and you can kind of follow along with where we're going. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be going. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me start off by saying, what does love have to do with anything? Huh? Everything. You can almost start off with a song. It sounds like a good way to start off a song, right? What's love got? No, just kidding. Not going to start singing for you. But what is love? How do we define love? There was a young man who, who told his dad, Dad, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to get married. And his dad asked him, well, how do you know you're ready to get married? He said, well, Dad, I'm in love. Son, how do you know you're in love? And the son responded, well, Dad, last night when I kissed my girlfriend goodnight, her dog bit me, and I didn't feel it until I got home. I'm in love. Love is a feeling sometimes for us, isn't it? It's just a feeling. It just takes us through all the difficulties of life, love. And we even have this, this image when we get married, we're just going to live on love, right? And then, then reality hits. And now you begin to say, well, maybe love is not just an emotion. Maybe it's something more. Maybe love has been defined for you by, by a person, especially as we, we talk about Mother's Day. I, I have this Mother's Day poem that says this, a mother's love. Is something that no one can explain. It is made of deep devotion and of sacrifice and pain. It is endless and unselfish and enduring come what may, for nothing can destroy it or take that love away. Maybe for you, love is represented by a person. And what we want to do today is we want to begin to understand <clears throat> how God has put marriage together. Over the last few years, I begin to, I, I do a series at least once a year on marriage. I believe marriage is the bedrock of a society. God made it that way. And when you began to see marriages unravel and crumble, you began to see a society unravel and crumble. 
All you have to do is begin looking at the statistics of those who are in prison. And the majority are those who are without father figures in the home as they were growing up. So what we need is do we need to have Christian marriages, marriages that understand and begin to reflect what God has called all marriages to be. When we stand and we have the wedding ceremony, we call it oftentimes holy matrimony. And so that's what we're talking about this time is holy marriage. Over the last couple of years, I've used Ephesians 5 and I've taken different parts of Ephesians 5 and I began to weave it together. It would have taken way too long to do three or four weeks, three or four weeks, three or four weeks and have ended up having like a 12-week series on marriage. So I've drawn a part a couple years ago and it's still online for free. You can download that. Last year's is still online. You can download that one as well. And today... I want to hit a phrase that quite often we don't talk about. And it's this Ephesians 5, and it's, if you go down to verse 25, 26, and 7, it talks about purity in the marriage. And it talks about how that we need to have this relationship which actually breeds and enhances our holiness. And that's what this series is about. We've built the foundations over the last couple of years. We've built out what it means to actually be in love and how we're supposed to interact. And this year... What I'm going to drive and what I'm going to push us towards is this. That I believe that God's design for marriage is not as much about your happiness as it is about your holiness. And it's a radical shift because as Americans, we think marriage and love should be about our happiness. But I will contend through this series that I believe God's purpose for marriage is more about your holiness than about your happiness. Now, can you be happy and holy at the same time? Hopefully. Hopefully you can actually have both. But what we want to do is we want to dive through this. So Paul lays out so clearly in Ephesians 5 how marriages are supposed to be interacting, how the husband is supposed to be interacting with the wife, the wife is to be interacting with the husband. And again, those messages are online and we'll be walking through this time. Holy marriage. If you have your Bibles, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Even if you do not, um, I want to encourage you, we'll put the, the verses up on the screen. We'll also have Bibles in the, in the backs of the chairs, so that way you can look at those and follow along with us. Ephesians chapter 5, go down to verse 25, and here's what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings. God, I am amazed at how that you allow us to celebrate you. And that God, even if we don't have the greatest voice or even the greatest tone, that God, when we sing from a heart that's truly focused on you, you consider it a sweet, sweet sound. And we want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for our moms who've made such a huge impact on our lives. And God, I do pray that today as we look into your word, that God, you would be magnified. I pray that you would help us to see more clearly what we need in our own personal lives so that we walk out of here a changed and a different people because we've heard from you. In Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, may be seated. I also want to say something to those, for, for some 
Mother's Day is a very happy day. It's a very special day. And yet, I also realize that for others, this is one of the a painful days. And I want to just let you know as a church that we've also prayed for you as a staff to let you, to re- remember that this could be a day in which many of us have, have maybe don't have our mom's present anymore. And it's a hard day to remember back and to, to understand that we have this loss and this whole for some, they, maybe you didn't have a, um, a great relationship with your mom, and so yet it makes it a hard day to remember when everybody else is celebrating moms and you didn't have a very good mom or home life. And we just want to let you know that we prayed for you as well. It can be a hard day. And maybe there's also some in this room who have gone through the years of not being able to have kids. And what a painful reminder a day like this is, is that you weren't able to have kids, and, and yet at the same time, We don't know why. We don't know the reasons why, but we know that there's a God who still loves you and he still cares for you. And while you maybe missed something and maybe this day is painful, I pray that God's blessings will be upon you and as you interact with him today, that he ministers to your heart because we believe that God is a big God and he knows exactly what you're going through and whatever you're going through, He has a peace that passes all understanding. And if we're willing to trust him, then he can get a great and marvelous work out of it. All right, as we get started, let me walk us through Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, now, men, this is tough. Because very practically speaking, this is all about you. All right, so ladies, I just want to help you out. This is not your time to get to check out, okay? What I'm going to do is I'm going to be applying this all the way throughout because this, these three verses that we're looking at, we're going to be applying it to both men and women. But men, let's just make sure we're very upfront and clear. This is really geared towards you first and foremost. All right, are we ready? So, so men, got it? Okay, how about this? Get it? Good, let me do that again. So my part is say get it, your part is say good. All right, get it? Get it, got it, good. Your job is to say, got it. Get it? Good. Get it? Good. All right, now we're on track. So men, this is right at you. This is going for you. We're gonna work there. But ladies, please don't check out because we're gonna be applying it all the way through. So today's title of the message is Love 101. Understanding what love is. Look what Paul says. He says, husbands, love your wives. Stop right there. Is that just a option for us? Is love an option? It says, love your wives. It doesn't say if she's kind. It doesn't say that if she's sweet. And it doesn't say if she does everything you want, he actually commands love. Did you see that? Love your wives. There's no exception. There's no little clause on the side that you can actually say, well, I don't really have to at this point. So love is actually commanded. So here's your first blank. You ready? Love is an action. In our society, what we want to do is this. Now, you've heard me say this over the last couple of years in our marriage series. That in our society, what we have done is we have actually made love all about feelings and emotions. And we see love as this erotic, exciting style. And we've, we've been presented through our, our, our novels. We've been presented by our movies, by our culture. We feel like if, if we're in love, then there has to be this euphoric feeling all the time that, whoo, I just feel like I'm on cloud nine and just floating all the time. And it's just amazing. But the reality is this, that feeling lasts only about that long. And then the rest of the marriage is still there. 
I'm not trying to be mean, and I'm not trying to say that my wife and I don't have those wonderful nights where we just really, she really likes me and I really like her. But there's also those moments where in love, you have to have a command that says, wait, even when I don't like what she's doing, I still have to love her. Love is more than a feeling. It's actually an action. Well, Heath, how, how do you do that? I mean, love as an action? Well, don't you just fall in love? And you can just fall out of love? That's not what Paul's talking about. He says, love is actually something you have to do. It's a verb. It is not just a feeling. So it's more than that. So what is love as an action? There's several different ways we could look at it. I wrote down at least five, and then you could probably come up with even more. But there's several different ways in which love would be an action. Love giving respect. We often demand respect, but yet it's given. Here's where it gets hard. When I see the shortcomings of my wife, hello? Okay, let me rephrase. She doesn't really have very many shortcomings. Let me rephrase. When she sees my shortcomings, how about that? When she sees my shortcomings, and yet she still has, she still gives respect. Wow, that's amazing. That's love in action, isn't it? What about this one? When we serve each other, when you don't feel like serving, serving each other, meeting the needs of the other person, putting their needs first, caring for the other's needs, being thankful for your spouse. (laughs) What about that one? So often we get so consumed with what we want out of this. How often do we just stop and say, thank you? Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for being what you are. Thank you for all that you do behind the scenes without getting any praise. Praying for your spouse. Did you know it's your job to pray for your spouse? You know, there was a book several years ago. It was was called The Five Love Languages. Anybody see that? See that book? You remember? And they just kind of walked through how different people and different personality types might receive what love is. And it walks through different ideas, such as maybe some people, when they receive a gift, it matters to them, and that really speaks to them. Maybe for other people, it's not about a gift. It's more about the idea of just getting quality time, just to sit and to talk. Your spouse has different ways in which she needs to be communicated to. He also has different ways in which he needs to be communicated to, that, hey, I love you, and it's love in action. I'm not called to know everybody else's type, but I am called to know my spouse's type and what she needs from me. One of the greatest things I can do is this. I I want to give her gifts, right? But she could care less about gifts. That doesn't really, eh. But man, when I actually pick up the house, hello, that's like a home run, right? It's, It's finding those ways. So service means more to her. And so walking through what that looks like Love in action is hard. It's easy to love God. Let's just be real honest. Why is it easy to love God? Well, because he's distant. We know he's good. He doesn't smell. He doesn't have bad breath. And he's not always present physically. Now, listen to this. When God's not physically present, then what makes it nice for us is this, is that we can actually ignore him when we don't need him when we don't want him. But our spouse is physically present. And when we have to interact with them, whether we like it or not, it makes it hard, doesn't it? 
So to put love into action is very hard because they're present. Now, for those of you maybe who have high school kids or college kids who are dating, I want to make sure we say this loud and proud. When you're dating, normally and naturally we serve and we meet and we put love into action. That's the normal. And if we find that our kids or grandkids are dating people who are aggressive and abusive, that's not love in action. When they say, hey, you, if you really love me, you would do this. That's not love in action. That's selfishness. And we need to call them out and say, hey, listen, that's not the best type of love. You don't want it because this is as good as it gets. It only goes downhill from here. <laughs> not being mean, but you know what I'm saying. So here we go. There was a young father who, uh, who was trying to explain marriage to his daughter. His daughter was four years old. And as, as he was explaining to her, this is what marriage is. He pulls out the marriage book and he begins to work through it and showing the marriage pictures and when the day that mommy and daddy got married. And as he walks through it, when she finishes, she says, is that the day when mommy came to work for us? <laughs> Kids have a great way of seeing right through, don't they? Moms, we are thankful for the way in which you put love into action. And the call here is this, for husbands and wives to put love into action, to move beyond just a feeling, but to make sure it's demonstrated day in and day out. Look at the next part of the verse. It says that we are actually to to love. Husbands, love your, your wives as Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He becomes the example, doesn't he? He becomes the example. So here's your next point. Love that actually points Love that points to God. You see, Jesus is the example for our love. He is the way in which we say, this is our symbol. This is who we're supposed to be going after. My love should reflect the way Jesus loves the church. And you begin to play this out. Now, how does Jesus love the church? It was continually, wasn't it? Unconditional. It was all the time. It was continually. Jesus loved no matter what else was going on. It was a continual love. Concrete ways. Jesus loved in concrete ways. It was tangible physical. He interacted with people and he touched their lives and he said, I make you whole. He heals. He brings healing. It's a concrete, tangible ways. Caring, again, he provides for the physical, emotional needs. How does Jesus love the church? He communicates it. He communicated by telling his disciples, I love you. He communicated it by saying point blank, I love the church, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He even weeps over Jerusalem saying, how often I would have loved to just to brought you under my wings. Jesus loves. Now watch. So here's the question. He's he's the example. He's who we're supposed to be going after. Have you ever asked the question, why does Jesus and God throughout scriptures tie marriage to how God loves people? Have you ever asked that question? Have you noticed it? That marriage is actually tied together. Let me just give you some examples. You ready? Hosea chapter two, God speaking about Israel, it says this, and in the day, in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. Isaiah 62, five, as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Matthew chapter 22, one through four, Jesus speaking says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast. And he begins to lay out this idea of a wedding feast and calling people in. Ephesians five, where we're at, 
Go down to verse 32, and this is what it says. This is a mystery. It's profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here's, here's the point. You ready? My marriage, I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. It should reflect his love. He's my example. I should be going after my wife the way Jesus goes after the church. Now watch. Because marriage, my marriage, should reflect how God loves people. His covenant-keeping, faithfulness, loving kindness throughout all generations. Now watch how this plays out for you and me. You ready? If my marriage distracts people from coming to know Jesus Christ, then my marriage is not a good gospel presentation to the world. Let me take it one step further. If my marriage is not bringing my kids closer to Jesus Christ, then I am failing my kids in giving a gospel presentation to them. Well, Heath, what about marriages? Marriages are broken and they're falling apart. I hear you. And in that brokenness, this is where the gospel shines the greatest. When we stop and say, God, my marriage is broken. I can't get it fixed. I need your help. And we turn to God. It's God's power that can actually redeem that brokenness. Amen? It's God's, it's God's business there. But what I need to do is I need to take this brokenness back to him over and over again. Because I need my kids and I need others I want them to see the gospel being played out constantly on how I interact with my wife, how she interacts with me, how that we show grace to each other back and forth, how we forgive each other back and forth, how that we work together. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have different opinions. Lord knows she has different opinions than me. Right? But it's this gospel presentation and I want my marriage to point towards God. Because what it is, is I'm designed to love as Christ loved the church. And if I'm taking away from God's picture, then my marriage is not appropriate, it's not right, and we're losing the gospel witness. Here's one of the greatest faults of the Christian church. When you start reading how that in our churches, we consistently have divorce rates that are about the same. That's a tough stat. Now, I have actually done further research in asking that question, and here's what I found. When those couples who name the name of Christ are in the church, and they're consistently going to church, and they're doing Bible studies together with their spouse and praying together, guess what happens to the marriage divorce rate? The marriage rate goes up, the divorce rate goes down. Christ makes a difference. And what we want and what we desire are marriages that point to Jesus Christ. Let me show you the next part of this verse. It says this. So as Christ loved the church and then gave himself up for her. This is a beautiful part of how love should look. Love as a sacrifice. That's your last blank. Love as a sacrifice. The biggest problem about marriage is that it reveals our selfishness. You and I are selfish people at our core. We want what's best for us. We want what's best. So we are willing to get it no matter how, what it takes. But marriage, when you bring two selfish people together, that's bound for problems. <laughs> just, just chalk it up. There's going to be problems. You bring two selfish people together, and now here's what happens. You and your selfishness is revealed. Have you ever heard people say this? 
man, I'm a great person. And then I go home. And then my wife just brings out the worst in me. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Or my husband brings out the worst in me. Do you know why? It's because you are having two selfish people living in close proximity. That's normal. Because marriage is designed to reveal your selfishness and my selfishness. That's why Paul's writing here, and he writes it to men. I think the application can be taken to ladies as well. Love will be a sacrifice. Somebody wrote it like this. Love is a dream. Marriage is the alarm clock to wake us up and to actually say, this is what's going on in our life. We have to work through this. Now, here's your few points underneath. Sacrifice is always learned. Sacrifice is learned. You learn sacrifice when you get married. If you don't, what you end up having is what? Fight after fight after fight. But marriage begins to say, okay, wait, I'm willing to give up this. I'm willing to give up that. You give up this. And you begin to learn how to coexist and how to work together. It's learned. It gets hard sometimes, but it's learned. To realize, oh, wait, my spouse isn't supposed to pick up my clothes. Ha <laughs> ha, that's a good lesson learned. Or to, to realize for the first time, oh, the dishes actually have to move from the sink to the dishwasher. <laughs> that's, a, that's a rude awakening. Oh, wow. So now I need to begin to realize it's not her job. It's not my, it's together learning sacrifice. Sacrifice is a choice. If I'm learning and now I'm making the choices, when I see my selfishness, I have this choice. I can either stay in my selfishness or I can actually move beyond it. It's a choice. And Lord, Lord, help us. If we've been married for a year, if we've been married for 10 years, when we've been married for 30 years, we should be getting better at those choices. We should have learned it. We should be getting further down the road, right? But here's the problem. Just because you learned it in your first year of marriage doesn't mean you're still gonna be doing it in your 10th year. It's a constant choice day in and day out that we have to work through. It's a choice. Sacrifice will cost. We know this when we say the word, we understand it's gonna cost, but sacrifice will cost. To be married to someone means that at some point it's gonna cost you something. It might cost you your ultimate dream. Maybe you, maybe you can't be what you thought you could be. And maybe you're going, oh no, I have to trade in my dreams. And we get bitter because we have to trade in our dreams. But the question becomes, if it didn't cost you something, it's not really love. It's not really sacrifice. Men, here's the hard part. For us, many times we actually feel like our wife has to do everything we say Yet the Bible's calling you here at this point to sacrifice, and that it means it's going to cost you something. The famous preacher, John Wesley, do you remember him? He, he went around revival after revival preaching. And when he got married, here's what he said. Quote, I will not let marriage slow me down, but not even one sermon. And you begin to look through his life. He, he held up to that end. He constantly would, and he had a wife who would write, her, write him and say, come home, you need a, we need your help. And he would not slow down because he felt like this was too big of a sacrifice. And I want to challenge us that sacrifice, the very word means it's gonna cost you something. It will cost you something to love someone. And the last thing is this, sacrifice is not always easy. Just in case you thought the cost 
and you haven't got the picture yet, I just want to make sure we say it plainly. Sacrifice is not easy. It will actually cost you something. It's going to be hard, and it's going to be harder the further you get into marriage. I, I talk to people, and as, a, as they get around that 7, 10-year, 15-year mark, they begin to have these shakes in their marriage, and they're going, I just didn't realize who I married. They changed so much. And the hard part is this. You've changed as well. That you're going to be constantly going through these motions of change, and your kids will change you. The priorities begin to shift, and you begin to work back through, and it's hard to work through it. And it's not going to be easy. But love was not designed to be easy. And when we think it's all about a feeling, then we've missed the entire point. I don't believe that Paul would have been talking about sacrifice if he thought love was easy. He gives us the example of Jesus. I read a, I read a quote of a Lutheran pastor who would always, it was a joke, the Lutheran pastor would always get up to say, um, as he began the service, he says, the Lord be with you, and the people would respond, and also with you. And one Sunday he got up, and he, he starts to speak, and the mic's not on, so he's t- tapping the mic, and there's a sound system problem. And he, he says, there's something wrong with this microphone. And the people said, and also with you. I just chuckled. Uh, I mean, I laughed, and then I laughed, and then I, and maybe I felt some, some uh, connection with the sound system problem or whatever else you could add. But my goodness, isn't that the way it is? It's not easy. And it's not easy when you see the faults. It's not easy when you see. But the marriage has been designed for you to learn what it means to love as sacrifice. You see, the example has been Jesus. And Jesus loved. And when he loved, he put it into action. He went to the cross for us. We know how quickly and easily we, we understand. Oh, yes, it cost him something. Oh, yes, that was love in action. And we, we see it and we feel it. We understand it. But when it gets hard for us, this past week I got to walk actually down the Via della Rosa. I walked in those places. And there's these moments where you just sit there and you go, wow, there's a lot of pain that Jesus had to endure here. And it caused you just to pause, to stop. And you begin to understand the gravity of the love that he had for me, the love that he had for people. To love people who were in outright rebellion, who hated him, and yet he still loved, and he still went to the cross. It's amazing. And now what Paul is doing is he's switching it. He's saying, that's how Jesus loves us. This is how you are to love each other. Love. 101. Richard Halverson said this, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Isn't that an amazing statement? And then he goes on, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, today would be a fantastic day. The gift has been offered. Jesus has died on the cross and he offers salvation to you. You simply have to do the ABCs. Remember that? A, admit. Admit that you have done wrong. Admit that you you sinned against a holy, righteous God. Admit. Then B, believe. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. And then he rose again, proving that he could. And then C is what? Confess. Confess him as your Savior, your Lord. And if you're willing to do that, through a simple prayer, Jesus will come and reside. The Holy Spirit will reside in you. And he will be your savior and you'll be 
in the family of God. It's called salvation. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then the challenge is this, that we love as Jesus loves.